All right. Good morning, Church on the Rock. All right, we have now <coughs> the uh, week after Easter. We broke all kinds of uh, records here at uh, this Easter, and thank you so much for inviting friends and family here to be able to uh, worship with us. And uh, I know the, the Volks have a few friends and family here. And if you are a friend or family, no, let's go family, all right, because we're all friends of the Volks, all right? So if you're family of the Volks or, or somebody that came for the dedication, can you just sort of wave your hand? See them all? All right? Okay, target them, Church on the Rock, right? Let's welcome them. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. If you uh, are not a regular at Church on the Rock, you don't know what these balloons mean, perhaps. The idea is, in the spirit of Luke chapter 15, we celebrate people when they come to faith in Jesus, when they take that step of faith to say, I want to surrender my life to you. And uh, what we had, we had uh, two of our adults and two of our kids this last week uh, surrender their lives to God and say, God, you've got it. I am yours. So that's what we're celebrating with our balloons. So if that makes you smile, yeah, yeah. Woo! <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, so we are going to dig into God's Word and uh, hopefully come away encouraged and, uh, and uh, strengthened by Him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good all the time. And your goodness is shown through Scripture, and it is in our lives I just want to thank you for all the people that you have brought here. I want to thank you for the people who are mature in their faith, who have walked with you for decades. And this, they're, they're again drinking at the fountain of, of you through worship and your word and your people. I want to thank you for those who are new Christians. And they're just spinning, trying to figure it all out. Lord, could you go and teach them the depths and wonders of who you are? I want to thank you so much for bringing people here who are not yet believers on the way to you, God. They are spiritual, and then they, they know there's something spiritual out there, Lord. I pray that you'll draw their hearts, woo them with your love and your voice into your loving arms. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Uh, I, just, I just heard about a young person, like this morning, right now, I heard a young person that had read all of Lord of the Rings in how many weeks, Zoe? How many weeks? Three weeks. If you've ever tried to do that in a year, that's, that's, that, I'm impressed. Let's, that, yeah, Zoe, that's amazing. Yeah, let's give it up for, woo. Okay, okay. How many people here really have actually kind of slightly interested in Lord of the Rings? Kind of a little, all right. Those of you are, I, I'll assume there's the vast middle that have no interest whatsoever. And there's a lot of people out there that just don't get it. That just, okay, if you just don't get it. Okay, all right, okay, good. Yeah, well, yeah, a lot of you won't admit that. That's great, that's great, I get it. I, uh, I happen to read a lot of it, and uh, I have, you know, uh, collections of different collectibles of all that kind of stuff. I get nerdy around Lord of the Rings. And I took a course of C.S. Lewis and, uh, and uh, Tolkien at my uh, Christian university, and I got to find out all the backgrounds and the backgrounds and the backgrounds of what uh, these people did. And Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, was a philologist, and uh, you know, I remember our pr professor saying that. I go, oh, a ph I had no idea what a philologist was. And I guess a philologist studies language and the background of language and how it, it influences language. He loves language so much, he just wanted to write languages. So he wrote two whole languages. He thought, well, if I'm going to write a language, they should have some kind of mythology of other people that developed this language, all, all fiction. So he, he wrote a mythology around the languages that he made. 
And then some people suggest, why don't you write stories and, and actually pick out a story and go deeper on that. So he did, and he wrote Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit. The, the deal is, you can read that story and actually enjoy it. You can watch the movies and enjoy it. But if you know the background of the language and the stories and the stories, all of a sudden you realize how intensely, insanely deep this, this is, is that this one little action in the story refers back to thousands of years of history that he wrote. And that I love. I see in the movie, you know, you know Frodo holding up the file of Galadriel, and I go, I know where that's from, and that's amazing. And everybody else goes, oh, that's just a big spider on the screen. Thing is, Tolkien, in a way, was trying to replicate the beauty and the depth and the layers and the layers and the layers of the Word of God. The Word of God, which is true in history, was written in such a beautiful and intense way that if you start to realize the backstory of, of the Bible, it, you cannot compare it to any movie, any other set of books. It is a miracle that 66 books from 40 different authors and, and, and often we read them as disconnected little stories are actually connected by this grand story. And we've talked about the grand story before, but this grand story has so many layers to it. Once you start to see the layers, you start to stand back and say, that is gorgeous. I, uh, to be able to make it through university, I did painting. I was one of those college painters, you know, that uh, do a cheap and not so good job, that one. And uh, I, I worked at, uh, at this one place of fluffy restaurants. Now, you've never heard fluffy restaurants. They're a chain. And the reason why you never heard of them, because I painted the places. Anyway, <clears throat> one thing they had, they had these, these bar, this bar, and I saw this one guy. They had a specialist working on the bar, and I got one guy working on the bar. And he's like, and I'm looking at the thing, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, how did you do that? And he said, well, I put a layer of varnish on it and just like, and let it dry. And then, then I had to sand it down, and then I put another layer of varnish on it. And I, I go, how many layers of varnish do you have on that thing? He says, I'm working on 65th. And I stood back, and I go, most people probably won't even be in their right minds when they're at that place, <laughs> let alone realize the work and the layers and the layers that are behind that. And he said, I know, but I do. And that's a work of art. And I, I thought it was. When we open up God's word, there are layers and layers and layers. And so, so there's about three things I want us to do in this series, four-week series, real, real quick. I want us to be in awe and wonder of, of the complexity of God's word. I want you to stand back and look at that bar table and go, oh, my goodness. This is really cool. This is not just a religious text. This is not just something that people follow blindly. This thing has layers of depth to it. I just, I, it it's just un unbelievable. I want you to get greater understanding because the pre-stories help us understand the stories that come further. And then I want this always to be helpful. Here at Church on the Rock, we're not here just about knowledge. I hope you learn some things. But if you just learn some things, I have, I have failed my job. My job, I want you to actually put things in action or go and help your, have your heart helped. And so we are starting this series called Jewish Roots. Jewish Roots. We worship a Jewish Messiah. I think a lot of people know that. But some people, you go, really? Yeah, Jesus was a Jew. He went, to, he went to synagogue. 
He, he kept the Sabbath. He was circumcised. He, he did all the things that Jewish people do. He, uh, uh, the, the earliest uh, preachers were Jewish believers. Jesus wore a, a Jewish prayer shawl. And we know that because as he went through, the, through one of the villages, it says somebody, somebody that needed healing reached out and touched the tassel of his prayer shawl. And so he was always just wearing this prayer shawl as any other Jewish man would. And when he would pray, he would put the shawl over his head and pray to the Heavenly Father. And so it's these Jewish roots that we realize as we rip back layer and layer, we're going to find out the depths of what God has for us. Uh, Paul described the Jewish nation as an olive tree. An olive tree. It's, uh, an olive tree is so needed there in the Middle East. It, it provides not only beautiful olive oil to taste, it provides the oil in which to be able to, to see in the, in the evening. And so it is such a useful thing that the, the people of Israel would, would know themselves as, as an olive tree. And, and Paul described it this way in uh, Romans 11, 17, 19, and 20. But there's there, some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of these people of Israel, in other words, uh, Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, uh, was, was making this tree, was like this tree. Some of these branches have been broken off. Hold on, broken off? How come? How come these branches get broken off? We're going to find out why. And you Gentiles, yes, you Gentiles, people who did not have, have God, the Ten Commandments, didn't have the prophets, those people who were on the outside, and this was hard for a Jew, Jewish person to hear, and you Gentiles were branches from a wild olive tree, all right? Okay, you're wild, all right? If you're not Jewish, yeah, wild. Okay, you guys are wild, and, and you weren't part of the whole plan of, of, of the olive tree. You've been grafted in. So in other words, we Gentiles, we've been grafted into the Jewish tree. Isn't that wild? We have been grafted in to a Jewish stock, a Jewish root. In fact, our faith has Jewish roots. We've been grafted in. So now, you also received a blessing God had promised Abraham and his children. So in other words, in other words, listen, you know all those promises that God gave Abraham? He, he said, they're great, aren't they? They're amazing. I like that promise. I like that promise. Ah, oh, I'm not Jewish. Hold on, no, no, no. You got actually plugged into all the promises that the Jewish nation would have, the Jewish people would have. Those that we got plugged in to that Jewish root. Why? Why did we get plugged in? And he says, why? And sharing then the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Well, you may say, these branches were broken off to make room for me. In other words, don't be arrogant about this. Don't be arrogant about this. It's like, all right, we made it in here. Anybody can make it in here. Yes, but remember the branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. Interesting, the whole Old Testament really is about belief. You have to believe Abraham received his righteousness because he had faith. It wasn't because he followed a bunch of rules. It was all based on faith. And so, listen, they were cut off. Individuals were cut off because they just didn't believe. And, you became, and you're there because you do believe. Once you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and the Messiah, that is, that is Yeshua, the Messiah, you get grafted in to God's promises to Abraham and those that came after him. And so the Jewish nation, chosen by God to be able to, to create 
a people for himself, we get grafted into there. And, 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 and God formed this nation through these things called promises or covenants. Covenants. A covenant in, uh, in, in Hebrew is called brit, which means blood. Basically, it's signed in blood. This is a binding promise. This is not just I promise, ah, I changed my mind. This is something that, <laughs> you know, blood brothers, that kind of thing. And maybe probably, you know, that probably doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Anyway, the idea, it's signed in blood to say, listen, I will give my life. You will give your life to this promise. And so God says, I will give my life to this promise. I am promising you these things. They are ramped up promises. They are covenants that he gives. And we're going to look at four of them as we understand what our Jewish roots gives us now to be able to, be able to live in Jesus now. The first promise is called the Edemic promise, or, or this is a promise made in Eden. That's why it's called that, the Edemic promise. And it's read and believed by Jews today. And it all stems from creation. Genesis 1.31, God uh, saw that all he made, and it was very good. It was very good. We believe as believers, as Christians, that God made the universe. Now, how he did it, I know different Christians believe different things. That's fine. You figure out how you, he believed, how, what you believe and how he did that. I believe that he spoke it into existence and the power of his voice is found in the matter that around us. That this, this is, we're living in the power of God's voice. But however you think how he made it, the, the most important thing is that God made it. He made these perfect laws of nature. He made a perfect ecosystem. He made beautiful things and morality that was perfect. And he stood back and said, this is good because God only creates good things. God creates good things. He says this in Genesis 2, 26 and 27. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. To be like us. How are we God-like? Well, well, part of the reason we know is that we have eternal souls in us that, that are going to continue to live one place or the other. And that's why we do what we do here, by the way, to be able to make it clear about how to believe so you can make sure that eternal soul gets to live in the right place. So let us make human beings in our image like us. They'll reign over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals of the earth. The small animals that scurry around the ground, we don't want to forget them. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. Humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. He, he, he created all these things, even the scurrying animals. And at the end he said, I am going to make men and women. And they are privileged to have a soul. They will have a freedom of choice. They'll have responsibility to play, uh, care for the, for the planet. And this is the beautiful thing about being a human being, freedom of choice, to do right things. But then he also gave us choice to disobey his choice. So why did God give, give people choice at the beginning, right? Why didn't we just have to do things? Come on, come on, if you've ever been in love, you know, come on, if you've ever been in love, right? Have you ever gone, ah, oh, I hope she likes me, right? I hope he likes me. Oh, man, wouldn't it be great if he likes me? Oh, oh my world would be perfect. Don't, don't destroy the lies on that one. Okay. <laughs> but wouldn't it be awesome if they chose to like me? Love is, is out of choice. 
And God is love. He said, I'm going to allow you to choose to love me. And as this, as this God that, that is full of love for his people stands and waits and looks, he looks for each individual saying, will, will you choose to love me? Will you choose to love me? How, how about you? This isn't joining a religion. This isn't, you know, coming and, and, and making sure I, I do certain things. This is, will you choose to love me? Will you believe in me and make that choice? Well, our ancestors chose to trust an evil liar instead of their loving creation. And that just infected the DNA of every human being that came after that. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desiring for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. <laughs> he's, he's not like another part of the garden. He's just there going, uh-huh, right? And he ate it. Okay, uh-huh. It's awesome, isn't it? Like so much we blame on, on, on different uh, people, man. Yeah, she shouldn't have been deceived. He shouldn't have been passive. He should have said, no, we're not going to do that. So they both decided to believe a liar instead of the loving creator. And all kinds of things happened in that moment. And this is really important to understand because it, it has to do with you right now on this planet right now, it has to do what reels you listen to on your phone. It, it has to do what you, how you hear the news. It has to do with how you see education and how you're being educated. This is what happened. This is what happened. There was emotional brokenness. They felt shame all of a sudden. Where did shame come? They didn't have shame before. All of a sudden, they're, they're emotionally shameful. They have spiritual brokenness. God... God, God just had to, to, to have this separation from them because he is so holy. If he, he drew close to them, they wouldn't survive. There is, for their mercy, there is this, this separation. There's relational bro brokenness. It, she made me do it. No, he made me do it. Ah, they don't know what they're talking about. In a moment, emotional brokenness, relational brokenness, brokenness with God, a physical brokenness, you will receive death. And the older you get, the more you find out it's coming. And then all, all of nature, all of earth was broken. It's a lot of brokenness. Why? If, if you're not a believer, if you're, if you're on your way to God, you might not hear this word. But this is why Christians talk about it. It's called sin. Sin. Sin is it has actually three meanings in the Hebrew. Number one, it means missing the mark. You try. You try really hard. Ah, oh, didn't make it. All right? Number two, it means rebellion. It's like a little kid in a grocery store. Put that cereal box back. No! No! Okay, that's another part of sin, right? It's like, ah, oh, I tried hard. I, I didn't do it. Ah, oh, no! And then the last part is called twisted, where all of a sudden now you're thinking in twisted ways all the time. So that is called sin. And so, guess what happened because of sin? Emotional brokenness, spiritual brokenness, relational brokenness, physical brokenness, and all of nature breaks. I've, I've seen some memes of uh, people going to heaven and meeting Adam and Eve. What do you say? 
<laughs> and there's a couple of them going, really? Really? <laughs> really? Yeah, I had to do that, right? Really? <laughs> I wonder what they would say back. You'd do the same thing. <laughs> Most likely. And so, Dave, great. Thanks for the good news. We can all go home encouraged. Here comes the first promise. Here comes the first covenant. Here comes the first promise that is an unconditional promise. Some of the promises of God are conditional. If you wait on me, you'll be strengthened. If you don't wait on me, you don't get strengthened. Okay, there's some promises of God that are conditional. This is unconditional. He said, I'm just going to do it. Another part of God's word says he's going to do it in his zeal. He's excited about doing this. He is just going to do it whether we want it or not, whether we ask for it or not. He is just taking initiative. I am going to do this. And what is this first covenant, this first promise? Genesis 3.15. And he said, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will crush your head. You'll strike his heel. Hebrew word Zerah can be taken either singularly or collectively. That's the whole idea of offspring. Older translation would call this a seed. And, and anyway, it, it, it can be a, a single person or, or a group of people. So in other words, God is saying there's, there's going to be hostility between human beings, that the children of, of Eve, and, and, and the evil forces that are there in the world. In other words, there's going to be a history of evil coming up again and again and again. We're broken. There's an outside evil force that is tempting people, pushing us over the edge. This is just a war zone. It's a mess. And that's why we're in the mess we're in right now. All right? That's why we're in the mess we're in. But it can also be used, offspring can be used as a singular. It can be used as a person. So in other words, he said, listen, not only will the world be a mess, but guess what? There's going to be a person coming from you, Eve. There's going to be a person who is born also a human. We know this person as Jesus. And guess what, evil one? You're going to get him and you're going to strike him thinking that you're going to poison him. You're going to bring him down. Ha! But just in the, in the act of, 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 of getting him, you think you got him. He gets you. That's good. And that's good news, right? Come on. Oh, that's Easter time. That's Easter time. It's like, okay, come on, son of God. If you're really son of God, you know, turn, you know, the... The, the rocks into bread. No. And, and he said, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to tempt you again until another, he comes back in another time. If, you're, if you are the son of God, just get off the cross. We're going to keep on tempting you, keep on hitting you. I'm going to keep on biting, keep on biting until he gives up. He gives up his spirit. God, I give my spirit in your hand. And he raises on the third day and goes, boom, way back in Eden. You're done. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, somebody need to go woo on that one. It's like a one-on-one -on -one battle representing a whole group. They did this in ancient times. It would be like David and Goliath. David represented all the Israelites, Goliath, all the Philistines. And they came off mano a mano, right, right on the field, right? And so some of the things that were going on in the cross had been, had been predicted in written literature a thousand years. 500 years before it happened, this is, it's let, you got to let that one settle in a bit, that have been read by the Jewish people for millennia, 
And they're going, ah, I don't quite get that one. I don't quite get that one. And Paul calls us, there's a mystery. There's a mystery. I'm going to explain the mystery that's hidden all in the Old Testament scripture way back at the beginning. You know what the mystery is? There is somebody that's going to come and destroy evil. And that is the person we worship. As the uh, creation story goes on, up until that point, there has been no death, right? There's been no death. And so God gives Adam and Eve clothing, clothing made of, don't want to expect any Bible scholars here, any, you know what the kind of clothing that you gave them? Gucci. <laughs> Adidas, yeah. Gave them the animal skins. Hold on, there's been no death so far. How do you get the skins? God said that what, what happened is serious. And it's going to take the death of something to cover you over. In fact, there's going to be a lot of deaths to cover you over until the death of my son, which will take it all away. So way back in the beginning, we get hints of the whole story. And I hope you stand back and go, that's cool. That's the backstory that goes layer by layer. That's pretty cool. Okay, beyond being a cool, uh, cool backstory, Dave, what does it have to do with me? What does it really have to do with me, right? Let me give you two things. Let me give you a couple things that has to do with you. Number one, the problem with the world is sin. And I know that sounds like such a Christian thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, the problem with the world is sin. I should have it with an accent or something. I, man. Well, well no. The problem with this, the, the world is if we could give people more money, it would help them, right? Because <laughs> you all have more money than a lot of poor people, right? You have more money, and your life is amazing, isn't it? Because money's going to fix the problem. Now, compassion tells us to give to the poor. Compassion. To, we are supposed to live lives of compassion. The Good Samaritan, everywhere we go, we're supposed to get. But you know what? That doesn't solve the problem. The problem of the world is bigger than that. You know what the problem is? You know how we solve it? education. If everybody could be more educated, all the problems would be solved. Right? <laughs> Let me tell you, somebody that spent way too many years in school, that's me. I'm there. I did part-time school for, I think it was 17 years after I graduated from undergrad. Yeah. And uh, the closer you get up to the, to the uh, top of, uh, you know, studying with PhDs, the weirder it gets. Just, I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> weird. Man, just weird. I still remember we got to meet the world expert on Plato. I met the world expert on Plato. This is back with the overhead machines. She's looking at the thing. Couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure out how to turn it on. Can anybody help me turn on an overhead machine? I'll help you. <laughs> there's a symbol called, it's a little circle with a little thing down there. That's a power symbol. <laughs> Push that thing on. All right. Education is going to solve everything. How many educated people do you know are just as messed up as the rest of us? 
Don't look at them, okay? <laughs> the problem with the world is sin. Missing the mark, rebellion. If, if sin is ultimately a spiritual problem, and it won't be fixed by natural means, it's not going to be fixed by natural means. That means some of you who are trapped in meme world and real world as, as TikTok and all those things, right? You got hooked on an algorithm. I, I'm trying to be real practical here. You know what? I get them too. And they figured out which way I vote. It's amazing. And they feed me all these things. You know what? I get angry. I get so angry. How could that person be doing that? I need to share the real because that's going to fix the, the world. No, it's going to make a whole bunch more people angry. Man, I'm there. I'm there. There's one I was frustrated to the point of, oh, I should not have watched that thing. Man, it makes me want to protest, makes me want to go and this world is crazy. Okay, maybe is it just me? Amen. Oh, thank you. I need somebody to say amen. <laughs> but I think the Holy Spirit came through and said, that dear woman needs Jesus. And Jesus will heal her heart. And Jesus will fix her. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. She needs Jesus. Because it's a sin problem. The whole world is. Broken relationships, broken emotions. It's a sin problem. Guess who fixed sin? Jesus. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting to me as, as I just realized that all the anger got away. Isn't that weird? I'm so angry at that person. You know what, what I'm doing on that for that person now? Praying for them. That they'll find Jesus. That Jesus will heal their heart and make them a place of righteousness for others. Wouldn't that be great if all Christians did that? <laughs> be awesome. I can't say I'm, I'm doing that all the time right, man. But I believe the solution is God. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard the story or seen the movie of John Newton. Not sure if you've seen the life story of John Newton. John Newton was a sea captain, was a sea captain, and I grew up in the, in the Navy, and he thought he was invincible. He went through so many storms on the high seas, he just didn't, he didn't care. In fact, he didn't care so much, he decided to make a lot of money and uh, operate a slave ship. And so he became a captain of a slave ship, going over to Africa, taking people who are chained, beaten down, with collars on their neck, throwing him into the hold and hoping that they don't all die so he doesn't lose money. Comes and makes his money and goes and sails back again. And when you hear a story, you feel ill to your stomach. How could so much evil happen? On the way back over on the ship, he hit a storm. Like some selfish person, the storm threatened his life. 
And so in the middle of his life being threatened, he calls out to God, did he deserve to be saved? No! (laughs) No! He's just this evil man. But in the midst of this, he said, God, save me! The seas were calmed. It freaked him so much out. They started to look into this God thing. Eventually, the Holy Spirit, how he beautifully does this, tapped him on the shoulder in a thing called conviction. Where you go, oh, what have I done? And you don't know what to do with that feeling until you bring it to Jesus. And he says, I paid for that. I will remove that. Come into my family and I will make you righteous before my, my, my holy throne. But I will start that whole process now. And he gave his life. He surrendered his life to Jesus. And he wrote a song. And I know a lot of you know that song, right? We could hum it, hum it right now, right? Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He didn't need more education. He didn't need some more money to help him out. He needed Jesus. You know the people around you that cause you so much anger? (laughs) Guess what? They need Jesus. They do. They do. Let me give you one more insight, and then then we're going to close her off. Something else I noticed in the story, I loved it. In the middle of the story, the biggest oops, right? You know, Adam and oops, (laughs) did that thing wrong, right? (laughs) Oh, man. You know what God put in the middle of the biggest oops? I'm I'm, I'm, I'm moving a plan to redeem you now. Yes, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. But guess what? I have a way and I have a plan to redeem you, to turn that whole thing around. Isn't that awesome? In the middle of it. And, and I come, I, I get to hear some of your stories. And I'm a privileged place as a pastor. And I hold on to your stories. I don't share your stories. I hold on to them and I pray for your stories. I do. Because I love you. I can't help it. I sometimes, I don't even want to, but God puts this love in me for you. And so, guess what? Guess what? I pray for you. And, and I know some of your stories. Some of you have been divorced. And, and you think that divorce has like shattered your life and has, God has, has, has put you on a shelf and he will never take you off because you are, are irredeemable. That's the lie. In the middle of your worst oops or whatever it was, or there, 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 I don't know. I'm not going to try and figure it out. In the middle of it, God redeems that. Listen, I got a plan. Guess what? I'm going to send somebody that's going to crush that evil. I'm going to work this thing out. He's going to work this thing out in your life too. I know some of you have been just so mired in pornography. And it just has like unplugged your life in so many ways. But you know what? In the midst of that, God can't use me. God can't. Well, guess what? He wants to redeem you. He wants to give you power over that. He can and he does. And he will redeem your life. Because in the midst of your worst mistake, he has a plan to redeem Isn't that awesome? That's the God I serve. I love it. Uh, I love it. I 
I saw, I went to a conference once and I saw this guy do a chalk drawing and, and did a painting thing. And I, I'll ask our worship team, why don't you come on all up. And uh, he was giving a story and I'm not sure if you've ever seen these chalk drawings. It's really cool. They, they, you know, they did some chalk and they, beautiful, beautiful scenery. And he did mountains in front and a, sort of this pink, you know, uh, sunset and little palm trees in the back. And, you know, you go, wow, I hope he auctions that off afterwards because I'd, I'd buy that. I'd buy that. And he just, you know, it was really cool. And then he goes and takes this black, black piece and he just whips this, this line right through it. He whips another line through it and another line. I'm going, no, no, no. And I go, wow, I kind of ruined that. <laughs> and then he takes each one of those lines and he built it into a tree. He built it into something as a part of the story of the picture. I believe God builds life stories, life stories that turn into life messages. Have you had some pretty big oops in your life? Welcome to the tribe. We live in a broken world. Don't run from God. He still has your name on his heart. He has you tattooed, engraved on his hand. He loves you, and he has something for you. Let's pray and ask that God would reveal that, that you would sense his, his, his redeeming arms around you as we worship him. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, God, in the midst of the most horrible thing, you made a promise to redeem this world, and you did that through your son. God, I pray that as we are frustrated with this world, that you would drive us to prayer that you would drive us to your love for people who actually believe different things than we do, but that we will love them in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.